You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Season 2 premiere of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and would like to wish you all a happy new year. I'm Derek Dumann, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Clark, Boys Basketball Coach, Athletic Director, and Principal at Oakland High School. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us today. Uh, Coach, I'd like to start these podcasts by uh, having you share a little bit about your basketball origin story, uh, how you got involved in the game, how you got involved in coaching, and then how did you end up uh, at Oakland High School? Well, I started playing basketball. I didn't start. I went to a really uh, a small, small elementary school um, out in Umpqua, and uh, so I didn't start playing organized basketball until I was in seventh grade, and uh, at that point, I was... Uh, about five ten and pretty clumsy and and uh, uh, so I didn't I was on the team in seventh and eighth grade but barely and uh, started kind of then I grew six inches between my eighth grade and freshman year and uh, became a six five kind of uh, lanky gawky freshman and um, had the 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 honor I guess of playing for Willis New in high school and he kind of uh, took me under his wing and put a ton of time in there. Uh, in with me uh, doing individual stuff, and and um, uh, so I played my four years at Sutherland High School, and that went really well. Um, and uh, when I graduated from there, I signed a, a letter of intent to play at Idaho State University, and I played there my freshman year, and then I um, attended my second sophomore year and redshirted, playing for Jim Botan, um, who was a good, uh, great Oregon uh, legend coach that uh, went over there. And then the end of my sophomore year, uh, the University parted ways with Coach Botan, and so I decided to transfer back, and I transferred to Western Oregon University, played for Tom Kelly there, and um, did my last three years of playing at, at Western Oregon, played with some great, great players, and Jason Ball, Doug Paquette, Lance Marr, some great, great Brian Junta, Todd Jukla, guys that had great basketball minds and knew the game really well, um, uh, which kind of... Uh, helps help me become more of a student of the game, um, learn it a little bit, uh, the ins and outs and the whys of it. And uh, then when I graduated from college, I um, uh, graduated in December, did my student teaching in the fall, and I, I coached the Sutherland 8th grade middle school team that winter. And uh, when I finished there, I uh, was teaching out at Elkton and, uh, in a temporary spot and um, got a phone call from someone that I knew from Oakland, and there uh, they had a, had a social studies position at the high school came open and, um, and I was social studies certified and they, the basketball job was allegedly coming open. And so I applied for the teaching job and got it. And shortly after the basketball job came open and I got hired there in uh, 1994 and, uh, I've been there ever since my, my plan when I got to Oakland was really, uh, Coach there three, two or three years, hopefully take a program and, and build it up to some success and be able to take that success and jump to some, to some bigger programs. And, um, I wanted to move up the ranks, uh, and, and so forth. And then, uh, you know, I had some opportunities to leave Oakland over the years and, um, had some job offers at some bigger schools, but 
each year it just felt like there's another good group of kids coming at Oakland and it, it kind of kept me there. And, you know, 27 years later, I find myself still there and, and still, uh, still running the sideline in the nut house. <laughs> That's great coach. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little about, you know, just the community of Oakland, pretty, you know, small town, just North of, of Sutherland. Um, you know, what have you done to kind of build uh, that community support uh, to get the community involved uh, in what you're doing within the basketball program? Well, I, I think the community support was already there when I when I arrived at Oakland. Um, you know, the, the community of Oakland has always been really good about supporting the school. The school is really the center of center of attention for the town. And and while the the town of Oakland only has about 850 residents, we we spread out the the school district of Oakland spreads into a lot of the um, the outer farm areas and so forth. And, and I think that the support for the school was always there. Um, what I would think I was able to, to help with was to, to cultivate that, um, some success in the basketball program and people just latched onto it. And, and I think one of the biggest things we've done with the community that's been helpful is we've really embraced the idea of, of our home, our home games mean something. And we want to make it really difficult on teams coming into our, into our gym to play and and so um, early on in my career the idea of of the Oakland Oakers um, just not just playing at you know at Oakland High School where we wanted to kind of create a an, a uh, aura at the gym and and so that the the nut house the name of the nut house was born and our community totally embraced it and you know we have we have regulars at our game that that have sat in that front front two rows of bleachers for for 40 years and you know some of the faces change over the years but but those regulars are there and and uh you know to come to the nut house on a friday or saturday night with the pet band playing and uh, the place sold out and and um you know gyms the bleachers packed and people standing on the sides it's just such a great atmosphere of of excitement and and we've been able to build on that and i think our community's embraced it and and taken great pride in it and i think it's it's helped our kids also um you know, really work to, to get to be their turn and, and when they get to step in and, and, um, and have their opportunity to, to put on the ochre jersey and, and, uh, do what they can to help, help, uh, help the team be successful, but also help the community be successful. Yeah. I've talked to, talking to some different coaches, uh, you know, preparing. I try to do some preparation for these interviews. They, uh-huh. they talk about the, uh, the environment there and just how special it is. Um, almost like a, a Hoosier-like environment, right? Where you, you know that small town in Indiana, you go and it's yep. everybody is there. Um, so it's pretty pretty cool that you guys get to do that. And, and I know the kids love it. You know when we've when I've coached teams that have gone to those types of environments, um, it's pretty special. It's pretty special. Uh, it, it really is, and it 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 adds to one of the things that we talk about quite often in in uh, different times through the day of uh, or practices of. It's so much bigger than just us. It's so much bigger than than you, and I, that's what we really push the kids: is hey, this is this is your opportunity to be a part of something so much bigger than you, and to be able to do that, and our, just seeing the community embrace it, and seeing our kids uh, take pride in those home games, and and uh, and make sure we go out and give everything we got at that time, and and to be able to be part of that, and and have those screaming crazy fans, and and just to be able to play in that atmosphere, it's just it's awesome. Great. Yeah, you talked about, you know, starting out at Oakland, you wanted to kind of, you know, build a, a culture of, of success and, and possibly look to, to leave and, and you just stayed. 
what were some of the things that you have done to to cultivate that that culture of success? Well, um, I mean, I I think that uh, um, coming out early on when I first got there, um, you know, the program wasn't wasn't in bad shape when I got there. They'd had some they'd had some successful teams, and but they they kind of had had ran into the the regional playoffs and had, had hadn't been able to kind of break through. They hadn't been to the state tournament in Pendleton since 1983, and uh, um, and so kind of rebuilding that idea of we need to bring on a a persona of toughness and we're going to compete every night out and uh, we're going to be a tough out no matter what. And I think to be able to, to have a little bit of success early on, I mean, my first year we were 10 and 10. Um, we were, we had to win our last three games in a row uh, to even get to 500. And, um, and that was a big, to be able to get to that and be able to celebrate that of, of being 500 and was a big deal. And then the next year we little bit better and uh, made our made our league playoffs and then the next year we make it to regionals uh, or we make it to we finish second in league and, and just kind of each year getting a little bit better and then had a couple of breakthrough games in the late 90s that that uh, were able to you know push us uh, to that next level and since then the successes became expected um, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said I can't believe um, you know, sometimes it's hard when you build up that expectation of success and you have a year where you make it to the state tournament and you go to and out, and that's a huge disappointment. We need to still be able to celebrate the fact that we're at the state tournament and only eight teams got to do that. And and so trying to be able to continue to uh, excel to that success and get kids to do all the little things that they need to do to help us be that, uh, to achieve that success, um, those focus on the details. Yeah, that, that's kind of my follow-up question. Like, how do you, or what do you emphasize mm-hmm. to your kids to kind of maintain that success? You know, what is it you're doing to to keep them focused and 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 prevent, I guess, a relapse of sorts um, within the program? Well, I'm a pretty competitive person. Um, I I want to win a lot, um, and so that that intensity that comes from me helps helps stimulate that with kids but i think it's really it's about the first day of practice really instilling those um that willingness to go the extra mile that willingness to you know we preach discipline a lot in our in our program discipline intensity uh those kind of things and and going through that and touching base on that every day and letting kids understand or helping them understand that that in order to be successful, you got to bring your A game every day, and you know your A game is going to look different every day. But there's things, there's certain things you can do each day out that um, will help lead us to success. And um, you know we talk uh, almost every day in practice as we wrap up at the end and um, about playing on Saturday. I mean, that's kind of our mantra. Hey, our our goal is to play on Saturday of the state tournament. Doesn't matter. We want to be one of six teams playing in a trophy game on the last day of the tournament and um and then just kind of reminded them of how what it takes to do that what it takes to get to that level uh what kind of sacrifice you have to make individually maybe with your individual statistics maybe you're going to average a few points less because you need to do this or maybe you're going to average two points a game because you're just going to be a lockdown defender that that's what you're going to do and that's where your focus at is at and um getting kids to accept their roles 
and uh, embrace those roles because um, I think getting him to accept it is one thing. Getting him to embrace it and excel at a role is a different thing that um, allows you to, to go to the next level. So it's, it's talking about all those little things, and, and again, it's about repetition. Um, anytime that you're teaching something, just like teaching it in the classroom, it's about repetition, and you've got to you got to check back to the foundational pieces and make sure that you're always um, going back to those in order to scaffold on to the to the future successes. Yeah, you talk about you know getting kids to accept and embrace their roles. You know, I think that's <clears throat> become harder and harder to do as coaches, uh, just with where we're at today. You know, social media, everybody thinks they're a star. Everyone's going D1, et cetera. Um, I think a lot of coaches have talked about, talked to me at least about that. Uh, how, how, is there anything that you do to help them or encourage them to embrace their role? Is there a certain way that you go about doing that? Well, we talk quite extensively about um, about value in the program, and that, and we continually say that hey, everybody has a value in our program, and if we have 12 kids on our varsity team this year. We're only as good as number 12 is when he brings his his uh, energy and enthusiasm and acceptance of his role to the table because accepting a, the role as a number 12 guy is just as difficult as, uh, if not more difficult, than accepting the role of being the number three guy or the number four guy and um, and understanding what your uh, what you need to do each day out. And yeah, it, there's no doubt that it is. Uh, difficult to get kids to accept those roles, but I think if you continually um, hit on those roles, explain why they're in their roles, explain what they need to do to maybe get better, um, to expand their roles, so to speak, um, but also just continually um, hit on the value of every kid's role because we're, we're only as strong as our weakest link and everybody has a job to do. And, and uh, you know, the kid that never gets off the bench um, – <clears throat> but has to come to practice every day and go as hard as he can and be positive and, to, uh, you know, feed off of that success of, of the rest of the team, that is that is just as an important of a role as the kid that's going out and averaging 25 or the kid that's going out and, and averaging double-figure rebounds or, or whatever the case may be. So, uh, and, and I'd say early on, I want to say the first year was about 2000, um, 2002, 2003, we looked at a group of kids that we had coming into the program that year, and we had a lot of good kids, but we didn't have a lot of great difference makers. So we we decided we were going to platoon that year, and we we took ten kids and um, and a, or actually eleven kids and made up a first team and a second team, and we put together a thing where we would we played our starters, and at five minute mark of the first quarter, they came out and. Our second group came in for the next uh, three minutes of the first and three minutes of the second, and then our starters came in and finished. We did the same thing in the second half, and that group, that was the hardest job we ever did, had at selling roles because you truly had to sell that role to every kid on that team, and those kids that it was, they felt like it was their time. They were going to be, you know, average 28 minutes a night, and and, uh, to let them know that wasn't going to happen. Instead, we were going to do this because it was what was best for the team. To get that, that gave us as coaches, um, it gave me some really good insight as to, you know, how to, the best way to get kids to buy into that was. And and we did that, I, I want to say, three other times probably, maybe three or four other seasons we've done it um, to varying degrees of success. And, um, and I think it really, 
that's where for me it showed the value of of getting kids to accept their roles because if they would all if if every kid accepts their role on a team and is willing to go as hard as they can in that role then the team's going to have success um naturally going to have success based on that yeah do you feel like you have any issues so let's say you've got a kid uh who is putting up 25 a night he's your guy you know all all league all state guy you know, do you feel like you're able to get him to also embrace and value that number 12 guy? And if so, how do you get that to happen? Um, yes, and that is a much – that becomes more difficult each year. Um, and I think part of that stimulates from us as as, as a coaching staff, um, letting them know that we don't, we don't treat our – we, we treat all of our kids the same. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a kid averaging a triple-double or a kid that, that sees, you know, 10 minutes the whole season on the floor. And, and uh, you know, we we make sure that, or at least try to, make sure that, you know, if we're able to, you know, be in a game and we're fortunate enough to, to be up and, and maybe our our uh, bench kids get in that don't ever get it, I mean, it's important for, for our starters to be, and I think they do a pretty good job of it, to be, still excited in, and into the game and celebrating those kids' success when, you know, um, uh, we had a kid with some with uh, um, with some physical issues that we, we kept on the team a few years ago. And when he got in the game and, and uh, it was on, happened to be senior night and he ends up catching the ball in the corner and hitting a three ball, which was, you know, um, a crazy moment. Our band went crazy. Our fans went crazy. But, our, you know, the kids celebrating the most were the kids on the bench that, you know, that that went through it each day with him in practice and, and seeing his struggles. And so to be able to celebrate that success um, is, is, was, was very helpful, but yes, it is, it becomes more difficult each year because um, you know, those top kids uh, tend to now have been told they've been top kids for longer. And, and uh, so again, it goes back to being able to see something bigger than themselves, which is, is difficult to, to make happen sometimes yeah you talked about a little bit things that you started emphasizing on day one you know maybe the pillars of your program for example can you talk about what exactly those are and and what are some of the specific things you do to to get kids to buy into that well i think first and foremost um is discipline we talk about discipline all the time because we you know and we we also our underlying mantra all the time is relating what we're doing on the basketball court to success in life. And we you know we we make those comparisons all the time. I mean if you if you're going to be successful in life, you've got to be willing to to get dirty and do some little things. No different than in basketball, you got to be willing to slide over and take a charge, even though there's nothing fun in doing that. Um, you know you've got to be able to rotate on defense and make sure that you're always there in the right position to help your teammate out. You've got to be willing to make that extra pass, do that that little piece. So going back to it's bigger than you because you're not going to go out there on your own and win a game. You're going to need your teammates. And um and we but in order to do that, we have to have the discipline to do the little things. So we we have a couple things that we do in practice every day every time we run Every time we run a liner, a 16 or a, um, a suicide, those kids are, every time they touch the line, they're saying discipline. And if we're not doing it, we're doing it again um, because it's those kind of little things, attention to detail that that allow us to be successful. And if we don't, when we lose sight of that, then we lose sight of what our goal is of, of being successful. So 
um, discipline and and really focusing on the programs bigger than us, bigger than you are, and playing on Saturday. And then, I mean, the last thing is is I mean, probably a, a cop out, but we focus on defense. I mean, defense wins championships. We talk all the time about the fact that your shot's going to come and go. You're going to have some good shooting games, and you're going to have those games where you can't get a bucket to fall. And and we um, but if we're able to come out and play with great defense and play with intensity and physicality, then, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's, if, if we're going to play a game in the seventies, we just need to be prepared to be able to also win a game in the thirties and, uh, uh, being able to adjust to both of those and, um, um, and be able to, uh, um, uh, to manage what we're doing, um, and putting all those little things together of discipline and attention to detail but it all comes through with defense and um, to set the stage there. And, and then, like I said, we have, we have banners in our, in our gym for all of our um, different sports. And so at least once a week, we point up to our league, to our uh, basketball league championship banner and say, Hey, you know, we, we're doing this, we're practicing hard, we're doing all these things so we can get your, your, uh, your year up on there and, and add to our, um, to the, legacy of Oakland boys basketball and you this your opportunity to do your part and, and put your league championship trophy in the trophy case with your name on it and we've kind of broken down to you know we talk about like everybody you know basketball is such a long season hey we take our preseason part we do our um, first half a league and then we refocus and get our second half a league but we're we know that we want to win league championships and that's our focus every year but we also know that's a that is just a stepping stone to get to to that ultimate goal of, of playing on Saturday. Yeah, Coach, I'm glad you brought up defense. That's a good segue into my next question, uh, which is your teams are, are known to be very tough and physical defensively. Um, you guys get after it and have, usually have a lot of success on the defensive end of the floor. Can you talk about what are maybe some key teaching points to, to help set up your defense, your philosophy behind uh, why you play that way, and and how you are able to get kids to buy in on the defensive end of the floor. Um, um, well, that's a that's a big question. Um, there's uh, for starters on how to get them to buy into to it. I think that that our buy in with the defense comes with that we're always focusing on defense with defense wins. You're always going to be in a game if you come out and, and play great defense. And the other piece is. You can be a great defensive player without having to um, put a ton of individual time in, per se. I mean, if you want to be a great shooter, you got to put up thousands of shots. Um, if you want to be a great passer, offensive player, you've got to put a ton of time into basketball, um, not just in the season but outside of the season. Defense doesn't take that. Anybody can be a great defender because defense is about heart and it's about willingness to, to go as hard as you can and – Willingness to be physical. We've, I would say, when I look at our, our two mainstay philosophies in our on our defensive principles are pressuring the ball and being physical off the ball. We want to we want to knock guys off their step. We want to we want to make them uncomfortable in what they're trying to do. If you sit back, I believe if you sit back and play passively and let teams do what they want to do, they're gonna they're gonna have great success. But if you get up and pressure them and put them in positions where they're not feeling very comfortable, then all of a sudden um, that's where you start to see, uh, I mean, I guess as the great uh, Charles Barkley says, uh, pressure causes cracks, and we want to see where those cracks are at. 
We want to put great pressure on on guys and make them um, uh, see what happens when they're under pressure. And, you know, uh, by by being able to do that, everybody on our team can see a place to contribute there because you can always get it done on defense, of playing hard, being physical. We like to, you know, we like to chest cutters um, off the ball and we like to to make it a – uh, a belief that the paint is our area, and if you're going to cut through the paint, you're someone's going to meet you in the paint and let you know that that's, you know, it's not free run down there. And I think by doing that, pressuring the ball and being physical off the ball um, allow, uh, allows us to knock other teams off of what they like to do out of their comfort zone, I guess, and that in and of itself, because our kids have seen the buy-in and they've seen this, they've seen the success over the years. And they know that's something that they can they can uh, hang their hat on. We we start every day of practice with slides. I mean, as soon as we're done with our stretches, we do defensive slides for about five minutes, and and uh, um, we're always we always have a focus first half hours usually on defensive drills and and um, just repetition with it and and kids buying into it because I think they especially now with social media and all those things where kids are kids are so much more connected in different programs. Um, I think our kids take pride in the fact that they, when they're talking to kids from other schools and they talk a little bit about what it's like to, to play against our defenses, I think that just adds to it and, and gets kids uh, um, more excited about being part of it. And I'm assuming you guys play predominantly man-to-man, is that correct? We do. Um, we've mixed in a little bit of zone here and there. Um, yeah. Most years, I mean, in my ideal year, I, we like to pick up full court and uh, um, run a run and jump in the full court and then just break down into into straight um, half-court man. Um, but, um, you know, over the years, because, I mean, at every level, but especially at the two-way level, you have to adjust to your to your uh, talent level of your kids, which is varies from year to year. And uh, so we have done some zone over the years, but you know, even in our, you know, even in our darkest years, we're still about 80% man. Um, if we're having to play 20% zone, it's a, it's a painful year. But, uh, um, yeah. but yeah, we, we like to, we like to get up and, and, uh, pressure guys with man defense. Yeah. How do you, as my last question before we go to break, cause I remember I've talked to, uh, I think it was Coach Pollard from Marist about, you know, he, he said all they play is man. And so I asked him, you know, how do you prepare for a team that plays zone? Like I know, uh, I coached at Illinois Valley a while back, and we saw zone most every night. You know, sometimes in the small, smaller schools, like you were mentioning, you know, a lot of you see a lot more zone. So, how do you prepare for teams that play zone if you're predominantly a man team? Well, it's a lot harder. I'll say that, and um, <laughs> I mean, it does uh, um, it does present some challenges. Although I will say, over the years, there's teams that play zone, and then there's good teams that play zone, and uh, <laughs> true. It, it doesn't take as much prefer. It doesn't. It's still you got to prepare differently. But um, for those yeah. those teams that are great zone teams, which typically, at least in my estimation, they're great man teams that that choose to play zone. But right. uh, those teams, it is a little bit harder because the ones that we probably find the most um, bit of a struggle is if we're trying to prepare for a one-three-one or a little bit of an offshoot that not a lot of people play, and and we don't hardly play that at all. I mean, we've thrown it in here and there over the years, but hardly at all. That's where it is a little bit more of a struggle. But um, Willis New told me one time, I, I remember about my second year of coaching, I, I called him up. I was like, Coach, I, I need a zone offense. I just 
I need something to, to run against the zone. He said, you know what? It doesn't matter what you run against the zone. If you have a shooter, a post that can score, and somebody that can put it on the floor, he goes, you can run whatever you want. And I think at that time I said, well, I don't have those things, so I need a zone offense. <laughs> uh, so I need something else that's going to put it in. But, but, uh, but you know, I, I think uh, part of, of what we do, we, we put some of our man um, offense principles into a zone um, into our zone offenses to get a lot of movement and cutting, and uh, but it's tough. It is. It is. It definitely presents a challenge when you are um, yeah. predominantly a man team trying to prep. Because at our level, uh, there is a lot of zones being played, and I don't know that it's just our level. I think it's across the board too. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from Coach Clark right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Are you an OBCA member yet? Sign up before January 29th and be entered for a chance to win one of two $25 gift certificates to Big Five Sporting Goods. Members that have signed up from the start of this school year will also be entered to win. You can sign up today at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Coach Jeff Clark. Uh, Coach, I want to talk to you about uh, you had a stretch of games a little while back, a few years ago. Uh, I think it was 56 straight games that uh, you and your your program won. Um, can you kind of talk about that experience? I mean, what what was that like to to put a string of 56 victories together? Well, it was it was a crazy time, and I I will say looking back on that because uh, that was a minute ago. Um, <laughs> I was probably young enough. I don't know that I young and inexperienced. I don't even know if I truly understood what I was going through while I was going through it. Um, you know, the first year of that was 1999 2000. Um, our program was just starting to grow. We'd been we'd made it to the state tournament the previous two years in. Uh, in um, 98 and 99 and we'd ran up we made it to the semifinals which was a huge accomplishment for for a team that hadn't been to the to the tournament since 83 and both years we ran into brian jackson and uh um matt coakley and uh um uh, mike coakley i'm sorry and uh and jed meathy and those two napa teams that were just amazing they were so good um and so uh we knew that we were going to be we thought we were going to be pretty decent in, in 2000. Um, uh, we had a player move in that was uh, pretty good from another school, and we already had three great players uh, returning on that team. And so we had a great uh, great core of four players. I mean, four guys that all were good enough to be the best player on their team, um, all could have averaged in the 20s if they chose to, and they, they meshed together, played great defense. We went through that year. Uh, we went 30-0. and um, being part of that team that year, again, I think it was because I was so young and inexperienced and you're in the moment of playing each game and one game at a time. We really had no idea how, how really good we were. Um, the state tournament that year was loaded. Um, uh, Culver was undefeated. Eastland Christian was loaded with JD Hill and Kyle Cowan, two great coaches now. And, and, uh, um, and Napa had brought, had lost all those seniors, but had brought back a group of, of kids that had played behind them and gotten beaten on them for all those years. And that's who ended up making it to the championship. And, and so to be able to finish that year, um, undefeated, be a state champion, do all those things. Those are things that we, I don't know that I ever really thought could, 
could happen um, uh, or, or would happen, I guess. So we, we came back the next year. We we lost our our player of the year, Jason Simmons, our six seven post that was was a great uh, great athletic post, and then Brett Crane, uh, a great great shooting guard that had moved over uh, from Sutherland that year. Um, and uh, so we lost both of those guys, but we brought back our our starting point guard Jordan Humphreys and our starting uh, off guard Blaine Bartholomew. Um, and uh, Blaine was going into being a three year starter, and then our our four man Nathan Chartier. All those guys came back. And then after that, we didn't have anybody else that the rest of our guys that played the year before were seniors. So we really didn't know what we had that year. And, uh, but Jordan and Blaine could flat out score and defend and Nathan could, uh, defend as well. And then we had some role players, Lance Whitaker, Derek Davidson, guys that just stepped in and did their role. I mean, I don't know that I've coached in over the years better guys than Lance and Derek as far as hitting cutters coming through the paint. If you came through the paint, they were going to lay a forearm on you. And they embraced their roles. They they took their shots when they needed to, but primarily they played defense and rebounded and were physical and, and set the tone. And so as we kind of went through and we won a few games early on and, and we were playing a game down at Days Creek, I think it was about the eighth game of the year, and we're down eight with about three minutes to go, and we make this great run. And we get it to overtime, and we win in overtime, <clears throat> and we just, we just, afterwards our coaches are going, you know, we we're a little better than maybe we thought we were going to be, and and uh, we we got something going on here, and and we kept going, and when we got to the the game to to tie the the record of 51 games in Oregon, uh, we did that at Gold Beach, and it was the same thing down down late, we rallied to get to overtime, and then we hit a shot at the. Um, at the buzzer to win it and just such a great, great feeling. And the, the following of that grew. I mean, I remember that Gold Beach, we went over and we played Gold Beach on Friday night and stayed the night and played Pacific on Saturday night because it was on the coast. And, and we had, uh, a sports writer from the Oregonian rode our bus from the motel to the game because there was, there was so much coverage in, and, so much coverage outside of Douglas County. I think when I looked back on it, that was the piece that was so much so amazing to me is is the coverage it got, and that that did make it difficult to really get the kids <clears throat> to embrace what we were trying to do um, and to be able to stay focused each night out because um, you know because everybody wanted to everybody wanted to stop that streak, and we knew that we were probably playing a little above what our you know, maybe our talent level was, and, and that showed when we got to the first game of the state tournament. We ran into a Salem Academy team that was just, and they were two inches taller than us at all five positions, and, you know, we played them tough, but just, just couldn't get over the hump. But it was it was a great feeling, and I, I can't imagine ever, uh, obviously, uh, doing something like that again, but, it, but it, was, it was quite a ride while it was happening. Yeah, I mean, and now you look back on it, you know, you said you were younger and maybe naive at the time, but was there anything that you did, you think, that, that helped your kids stay focused? I mean, did you guys talk about it at all? Did you kind of just ignore it? I mean, how did you kind of deal? You know, I'm thinking that you get to 51, 52, right? You now have the record. You know, I'm sure right. it's probably all a buzz, right, at, around the community and in the school, you know. Was there anything uh, that you yeah. did that you can think of? You know, we, <clears throat> that's really where we started our one game at a time mantra. And that has, that has really followed us through throughout. You know, it, we can talk all we want about where we want to be at the end of the season. It's one game at a time. And it is, we've got to show up on this game, make sure we go through warm ups focused 
And when the ball goes up at, at a tip-off, we got to be ready to play and bring everything we got. And that that probably helped more than anything, us continuing to um, to put some credence to that because, I mean, we got everybody's, everybody's A game every night out. And, uh, you know, even the next night we played Pacific. Um, and Pacific, that was, I think, the only year that they, they made their run to the state tournament. But, uh, but, um, they, they played us tough and, um, and, uh, it was just every night out and getting our kids to understand that every, your, your name is circled on the schedule. Everybody is circling Oakland and they want their chance to knock you off. And, and again, for us, it, we never really put an onus on, it's not about being undefeated. We can accomplish for the year without being undefeated undefeated is just a you know a side a side bonus from that and and uh and it's a two-edged sword because yes each win helps us get closer to our goal but it also uh, puts a bigger target on our back and and does mount a little bit more pressure um so it was it was a neat experience um you know i still uh keep in touch with a lot of kids off of um well throughout the years in, in the program for lots of kids, but some kids in there and they talk about how that was um, being able to go through that and, and the experience of that for a small town kid was, was pretty awesome. I bet. Uh, Coach, you, you've had the opportunity and, and good fortune of winning a, a multiple state championships. Um, can you talk about, you know, I think those state championship teams, maybe as a coach, you, you kind of know going into the year that you've got a, you've got a chance um, it, have you coached those teams any differently than, say, a quote-unquote typical year? I know you guys always want to play that, that final Saturday um, to, to play for a trophy, but you know, I think some years you feel like you know you're going to be really good, and other years, you know, like you've talked about already, you're maybe not going to be quite as good. Do you coach those teams any differently? Do you focus on anything in particular that's different? Um, you know, I think uh... – I think the the simple answer to that question is probably no. I don't think that we necessarily treat them different, but I think the the bigger picture answer is, you know, yeah, they they I wouldn't necessarily treat them differently, but I think what what you're able to do with those better those teams that that are that are that next step up that that can that you believe can compete for the blue trophy. I think that I think that you're able to do some different things because if you're going to be able to compete it, um, for that, then, then you know you, you're going to have some talented kids. And so the ability, so like in, in 2000, I mean, it was, it was, there was just so much talent on that team. We just, we were in your face defensively and we just, we played hard D no matter what. Um, I think over the four year, four game stretch at the state tournament that year, I want to say we held our opponents to, an average of 27 points in those four games. Um, so, I mean, those guys, they could score and we could play D. So we didn't have to change things up. With the 2006 team, which was a really a crazy uh, – uh, that was a crazy run to, to, to win the games we had to win on the road to even get to Pendleton, to be able to – I mean, that tournament was loaded with talent, with Sandy M. Christian and Western Mennonite and, and – uh, um, Bandon and ourselves and I mean Nissa. There was there was great teams there, and to be able to to make, that year we played a lot of match matchup zone. I mean that ended up by the end of it. Uh, that was some of our go to uh, defense against Western Mennonite in the semis. We played matchup zone the whole time. I think that 
being able to adjust and do some other things that are out of what you normally would do, I think you have the ability to do that with those championship-level teams. Uh, the team that won it in 13, uh, that was another team that we we played. It was the last team that we uh, – I guess there's been one since then, but it was a team that we platooned with because we had so much talent uh, um and and we could bring out so many different looks and to be able to do that and and with that team uh there are two teams play different different things i mean uh you know they they ran a little bit did slightly different things on offense slightly different things on defense and and so i think that you're able to do things a little bit differently with them of adding some different wrinkles that you wouldn't necessarily be able to add you could add them with other teams they're just not going to be as effective with the with the talent, with the disparity in talent level. So, so I don't know that you coach them differently, but you do have the ability to do some different things that you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, be able to do with some of your other teams. Yeah. Coach, you also serve uh, as the athletic director and principal uh, at Oakland. Uh, so you got a ton of free time on your hands. It sounds like. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you, you know, how do you kind of balance that all, and, and what's kind of kept you coaching? Through that, you know, a lot of times people move on to AD administrator role. They kind of leave the coaching behind just because it's a grind. You know, coaching is is tough and long days, but you're still able to do it all. So, how do you do that, and what's kept you coaching? Uh, well, it has been. It, I think that's that's very uh, aptly put right there. It is a grind. Coaching is a grind, um, and uh, uh, it takes a lot out of you. Um, you know, I I don't know that I I don't know that I have a great, um, a great answer to that question. I think it's, I just, that my love for basketball goes so deep and I just, I crave that intensity, that competition, all those things. And so I do it. I've been fortunate enough that the community of Oakland and the Oakland school board, um, and, and my superintendents have allowed me to keep coaching. Um, when I, <clears throat> when I took the, the athletic director job in 2008, um, I, uh, one of the hardest challenges that I found was making sure that now, um, I mean, I always supported all, all programs at Oakland, but it became now part of my job to support them and to support them in a different way. It was different than just going to a baseball game or a, a softball game or a volleyball game or a football game and, and a wrestling meet and cheering them on. Now it was, it was about building their schedules and, and helping those teams, um, you know, find traction with success and, and moving in, in the right direction. So, um, but the time management piece has became difficult. And then the year after that, I transitioned into the principal job. And I think probably in that 2009 to 2011, those two years, I was, I was highly considering, um, giving basketball up. Um, we, I just made the transition to principal. We had a couple of difficult years. We, um, finished uh, second in 2010 in, in our league and uh, lost in the league playoffs. Uh, lost two and didn't uh, weren't able to make it uh, um, to the state playoffs. And then the next year uh, we finished. Uh, I think we finished fourth the next year and lost again in the league playoffs to go. So two years in a row of not making it to the state playoffs since, um, <clears throat> and that hadn't happened since '97. Uh, so. It made me step back and question. Maybe I can't do it all. Maybe I don't have that that time to do it. And uh, but at the, that time, um, that group in 2012 came, and we had a little bit of success. And and uh, I think 
uh, that helped me realize it's just about time management. But the other thing is really surrounding myself with great coaches. I mean, Greg Good has been an assistant coach for me probably 20 of the 27 years that I've coached, and he just having the right people around you, uh, Jordan Humphreys, who's now the head coach at Roseburg, um, guys that have went through our program and coached uh, Jeff Fusco that have went on to be other head, co- head coaches in other programs but have been able to um, buy into our philosophy and, and help me manage when on those days when something happens at school and I can't make it to practice on time, knowing that I have the right people that can start practice and get us going and um, and uh, um, and keep us on the right path. So having great support, not just on the basketball court with my assistant coaches, but also being in a building with great teachers and uh, um, and uh, great community support uh, has also been really helpful in being able to manage because it is a it is a, a uh, time time demands are big, and so being able to stay on top of it is a challenge. Yeah. <clears throat> Coach, I wanted to ask you, you know, smaller school, Oakland, you know, you talk about the different teams that you might see at the state tournament, uh, you know, teams from all the way up to North Coast, Napa, uh, Vail, Nyssa, right? How do you scout those teams? You know, I know with huddle and things, that's made things easier, but I know that, like, for me at the 5A level, you know, I have teams that are 15 minutes away. So if, if they're playing on a night when I'm not, I can go watch them. I mean, how do you guys do that at the smaller school level, and how do you prepare your kids um, for upcoming games? Well, it used to be a lot. Um, it was it used to be a lot more difficult, without question. I mean, I was it was jump on the road, and um, I can't even remember. I couldn't even tell you what year it was, but I remember uh, we knew we were going to play the winner of Mennonite and I'm not even sure who they were, maybe Regis. I can't remember who they were playing in their league playoff. And we finished practice and jumped in a car and drove, you know, two hours and 10 minutes to get up to Mennonite and we get there. We're skidding in about 10 minutes before tip off. And we realized there's a line of 20 people. We don't even know if we're going to get into the gym to see the game to scout them. And um, luckily we were able to, to get in and stand in a corner and watch that night. But so it was a lot of road, a lot of road hours. Um, I'm definitely a visual person. I like to see a team in person. I mean, I, I watch film because I have to, but I don't love it. And uh, I need to see them in person. I want to see their tendencies. I like to sit right behind the, the bench of the team we're playing a couple rows up to kind of get a feel for, for what their, what their chemistry looks like, what their bench uh, looks like and so forth. And, and, uh, so, but now, um, now that we've went to, six classifications and things are so spread out. It really is. Um, you know, I, I watch a lot more film. Um, I break a lot more things down on huddle. I like to call coaches. I mean, I've, I've had the, um, the honor of coaching against some amazing coaches over the years. Um, guys that have been around doing it for many, many years. And so I like to reach out to people that I know have a bigger network now, I guess, um, of people that I can call. And, and I like to, to call kind of like-minded coaches and, and, you know, talk about the team and after I've watched them on film a little bit and, and get some insight from them. But but nothing really tops uh, getting in a car and, and uh, um, going and just sitting in the gym and watching a team play, watching them in person. You can There's just so many more things you can see that you miss on film. Yeah, how much do you give your players before a game? Are you talking about individuals? Do you walk through the other team's actions the day before? What, is, what does that kind of look like? 
Yeah, we usually, especially when we, I mean, it's it's shorter in preseason, but once we get in the league, we, we usually spend a good 20 minutes the day before um, going through uh, matchups um, of uh, um, who they're going to be guarding. And then when we talk about the kids on the other team, you know, we talk about the opposing point guard and all, you know, we give out their strengths and, and uh, tendencies and maybe a weakness or so that we, if we can find one and, and uh, we, you know, talk through each of the kids and how we're going to defend them, what we want to do, go through the individuals um, that are, and, and what their roles are uh, for the team we're playing. And then we go through what their defensive tendencies are and what their offense looks like. And we'll walk through. Uh, I try and hit a strike a balance because I, I want our kids to be prepared, but I don't want them to be inundated with it. I still, I mean, one of our base principles is, you need to know what the other team's doing. You need to be prepared for it. But the bottom line is you got to do what you're going to do and you got to do it well. Um, and so I try and not, I try and find a good balance where we do, we focus on the other team and, and what they're doing, but really our focus is on us and what we're doing and, and what we're going to do when they do this to stop us. How are we going to adjust to that? And then game day, and I, I laugh. Um, you know, I played for Willis New, who was a phenomenal coach, played for Jim Botan, played for Tom Kelly. Um, I think our my philosophy and the things that I do, whether it be in practice or pregame, is really a combination of all three of those guys. And so our pregame board, my pregame dry erase board is pretty full of info. And so I expect our kids when they're getting dressed to kind of go through and read through it. And then I go through and talk through it as well. Um, and I picked up that a little bit from all three of those coaches in, in uh, how we do things there. Um, so we, we focus on the other team, but um, with tendencies, individual and then and team tendencies, but we, we make sure it's a balance. So we're also trying to make sure we're ready to do whatever we do and, and do it as well as we can. Coach, season, you know, this year, uh, fingers crossed, we're still going to have one uh, moved back to May, June. So I guess uh, – It'll be summer ball slash winter ball all at the same time. Right. Um, have you started to think of a plan for prepping kids? I mean, it's going to be a shortened season. Uh, you know, right now there's still that OSAA culminating week, but we don't really know what that looks like yet. I mean, what, how are you kind of approaching this season uh, with your kids? And what are you have you done any planning uh, for what that's going to look like? You know. Um, Small stuff. I mean, it, it, uh, and again, I think that falls into what you said earlier, being the AD and the principal, um, is, is a lot of planning going on. So right now we're looking at, we're still looking at trying to finish managing season one and what that looks like to get kids together and be able to do some things and then stepping into season two. As far as what season four of basketball is going to look like, I'm, my hope is and what our, what our approach as a staff is going to be as best we can is to treat it like a normalish year in the sense of, hey, we're still going to approach it, um, you know, coming into practice at the beginning, but we, we know we're going to have to adjust some things. Our, our ramp-up time shorter before we get to games. We know we're not going to have those preseason games to get going if we're, if we're going to try and play a league schedule. And so our focus is still going to be the same and our – and I think our underlying mantra is going to be, hey, we need to make the most of what we've got. We have an opportunity to play, even if it is in May and June. Let's make sure that we're we're going as hard as we can and we're making our mark. And, and uh, you know, my hope is that we're able to put together a schedule that maybe is a league schedule and we're still trying to play for a league championship. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to win our last 
three league titles in a row. And I think we're going to still use that mantra of, hey, we're trying for number four. Let's, you know, this is this is our opportunity and and uh, and kind of downplay the asterisk stuff and just say, hey, we just want to we want to go out and make the most of what we have. And I think that's probably been the the underlying philosophy we used with our kids when they've been able to come in during some season one some season one time and do some things is, hey, you got to be thankful for what you got because right now you've started to see you're, you know, you're living through a historical time in your life and you're starting to see that it's easy to take for granted the things that you think are, are givens and they're not. And so let's make sure that we take advantage of whatever opportunity we get, whatever that looks like and, and, uh, and make ourselves proud. Yeah. Good stuff, coach. All right. We're going to take another break. When we return, coach Clark will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon basketball (laughs) coaches podcast. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media at facebook.com slash OregonBCA or on Twitter at ORHoopCoaches. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Jeff Clark, boys basketball coach at Oakland High School. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. So I'm going to put 35 seconds on a timer. Uh, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions that should only have one- to two-word answers. Uh, and then okay. what I'll do is I'll follow up with you after uh, our possession, if you will, uh, to have you maybe dive into some of the some of the things that you answered. Sound okay. good? Sounds uh, great. We'll see, we're going to see if we can get through as many as we can here. So. Okay. All right. 35 seconds on the clock, starting now. Do you think Oregon High School basketball should have a shot clock? Uh, no. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press? Uh, my rule's 20. If you're up three with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Absolutely not. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? Uh, hedge and recover, although I like to double sometimes. Do you think the three-point line should be moved back in high school? No. Think of bad enough shots as it is. What's your favorite pregame meal? Uh, chili dogs. What's one word officials would use to describe you? Uh, intense. Time. Good work, coach. Efficient. A good ball movement there. I thought we got a good shot. We got a good shot. Excellent. There. No else. <laughs> good. Well, Coach, I'm sure you're aware, uh, you know, the shot clock is a, a hot topic, not only in the in the state of Oregon, but countrywide. Uh, sure. You know, you had mentioned that you are not necessarily in favor of that. Can you expand on that answer a little bit? I think the reason um, for me, I know that it, I know that there's a lot of positives with the shot clock and it, it keeps the game moving faster pace and everything. I guess for me, it's, it's, it's more of an equalizer that is that takes a little bit more away from coaching. I know it expands um, other other realms of coaching, but um, for me, I can I can take a team that's not very talented that's just going to play great defense and and can show some patience on offense and be able to have a shot to win it. But I think your your lesser talented teams have a much less opportunity to knock off a better team with a shot clock because. And and I say this, I don't. We don't pull the ball out. We don't stall. We've never went four corners. I just 
I mean, we might be be patient in our final possession if we're up five with, you know, two minutes to go. We're going to be pretty patient and make you make you foul us maybe. But um, but I think that uh, I guess I just feel that right now it's hard enough to get kids to buy into the philosophy of taking good shots and being on balance and being patient. And the shot clock just forces even more bad shots. There's just too, enough possessions where you um, – you know, you come up against the clock that you end up taking a bad shot, and I just think that's a wasted possession. Now, the, the defensive coach in me, in me believes a shot clock wouldn't be so bad. If we only got to play super hard defense for 35 seconds and being able to switch up defenses in the middle of possessions, I mean, I have lots of lots of things I'd like to try if we were using a shot clock, but philosophically I just feel like it, it's going to – it's going to take a game that the, a facet of the game, getting kids to commit to being patient on offense and taking good shots, it's going to be even harder to instill that when you're up against the clock. Yeah. How do you go about selecting team captains? You know, I I put a lot more onus on what team captains were uh, early in my career. Now I feel like while you do need some peer leadership amongst your team. Um, I find that who – I don't want to give somebody – I don't want to give three, two kids or one kid a, a captain moniker that sets them above the rest of the team. So really for me, choosing team captains comes to uh, who our senior leaders are for that year. Who and, and I say senior, who our team leaders are. It doesn't have to be seniors, but who are really the leaders on the team. And for my program, I know that many other coaches would say differently, the team captain in my – in my program means you go talk to the referees in pregame, and that's pretty much it. Um, I don't let my kids talk to officials. I I reserve that right for myself because I tell my kids, if you shut up and play and let me talk to the officials, I get to say a whole lot more if you don't talk. So our mm-hmm. kids don't really do that. That helps. So really, for as far as team captains for our program, it's, it's our senior leaders. It's our leaders. Most typically they're seniors, but not always. Um, but but really their jobs for that pregame talk and that's about it. Um, and then I think that your locker room leadership and stuff, um, it that that really comes from within a little bit different. Do you select them? Do you have the team select them? Uh, I I typically select them. Um, you know it's funny. I remember one year it just was natural. I hadn't even thought about it. And here's go first game, and I, the referee comes over and goes, "Hey, you need captains." And I was like, um, "Well, I should have probably picked those." And I I yell out there, and my point guard um, looks at me, and he grabs our post, and they walk up there and do it. And I'm like, "Well, that's the two guys I would have picked anyway." So I I feel like they kind of it 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 kind of picks itself, I guess. Yeah. Do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you like to do with your kids? We uh we have and I'm not even sure when this started, but we do a uh um if we make it to the state playoffs, it doesn't always land on that that there's a Monday holiday right there in February, I think it's president uh, I can't remember if it's presidents or MLK day. One of those yeah. days it's a Monday off and and uh um, if it lands on that time, even if it doesn't, we'll go instead of practicing on that Monday because we typically don't play till Friday or Saturday. We take the team and we we load them up and go to Roseburg and we bowl for an hour and a half. And uh, um, so it, it gives them a chance to have our coaches go and our kids go, and it allows them to see us still be competitive and do that, but be able to enjoy ourselves and have fun. And uh, and 
and uh, take our minds off of the, the task at hand, knowing we're going to have four, four or possibly five great days of practice leading up to it. So um, that's something I think the kids have looked forward to, and, and uh, it's, it's kind of that extra piece of being able to make it to um, – and that's for the play-in game. So, unfortunately, there's never enough time if you make it to Pendleton to, to give up a day of practice for that. But that play-in week, it helps, helps that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what's your favorite drill? Oh man, uh, my favorite drill probably still runs down to um, shell. Um, just that four-on-four half-court defense. Um, you know, making teams just have to come out and get a stop to get to offense. And if you, you get an offense rolling and make eight buckets in a row, you get to stay on offense. And and I think it it you know kind of encapsulates all the things that we like to do in our half-court defense. And uh, you know that so that's my favorite half-court drill. My favorite full-court drill is either eleven man or um, chaser, you know, that you throw the ball out and to a guy ahead of you who's going down for a lane and you're coming from behind to try and block his shot. Not the safest drill in the world to do at Oakland because we only have about, you know, five to seven feet on our baseline. So, you know, sometimes the uh, pads on the wall get knocked a few times. But but uh really works on kids' intensity and, and, uh, and timing and, and lets them know that, hey, when you're chasing somebody from behind, you're not trying to take them out. You're trying to make a play on the ball, so you've got to get there to do that. So plus, you know, it's got the added bonus of the offensive guy going full speed, knowing somebody's coming to try and uh, to try and uh, pace it off the backboard. So you you got to be able to put some focus into that too. So it's kind of fun that way. Yeah, I like it. Well, coach, uh, that's all I have for you today. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me, and and I, I just like to wrap up by saying it. it's been it, it's been a joy to be able to spend 26 years coaching in Oregon basketball. I've ran across so many great coaches and so many, you know, I mean, in in my book, I call them legends. You know, guys that have been around forever and have won so many games and and do it the right way. And I think that is, uh, um, I've appreciated them being there for me over the years to to talk to and ask questions to. Um, for and, and get some guidance and and I've tried to uh, um, I've tried to fill that same role myself now that I'm more of a veteran and and help uh, younger ones coming into the game if if, uh, if I have that opportunity. That's great, Coach. If you have any follow-up questions or, or want to get a hold of Coach Clark, uh, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach him up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.